This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. from frigid uh, it's a relative term uh south carolina is pretty cool right now iowa was uh, cold that even began to describe what iowa was i don't have a word not one i could use like on radio without getting fined but we are so thankful to be back and very grateful for your questions and i think because Mary Langston was in Iowa, too. I think she has thawed out. And by the way, she didn't complain one bit, even when it was like minus 30 degrees. She didn't complain. But I did enough of that for both of us. So, Mary Langston, are you back and able to function? I'm back. I'm all thawed out. And it was beautiful. It was nice seeing some snow. I don't think I've ever seen that much snow before in my life. So we can check that off the bucket list. Uh, was that on your bucket list? <laughs> I didn't know it was, but apparently it was added late. Oh, wow. Uh, I will say this. The people there could not have been nicer. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful that Fox uh, not only let me go, but they let you and Terry come with me. Mm -hmm. So it was wonderful to experience uh, frostbite with the two of y'all that was <laughs> that also was not on my I don't have a bucket list. you know what's on my bucket list what is that don't die okay that's on my list of things to do right before I die don't die <laughs> and that's and it, the list really isn't any longer than that well I've never heard that one before but there you go okay well there you go uh <laughs> I hope you're I hope you're having a good week, and I hope people have questions beyond how in the world can you possibly work with someone that crazy? Do they have any questions <laughs> other than that? They do. Okay. The first one talks about Iowa, so we'll get started. Thank you all okay. for sending us your questions. So we'll start with a question from Deb, who writes, Did Iowa's results surprise you, and what do you feel will happen in New Hampshire? Well, Deb, we were there as uh, Mary Langston and I just alluded. Fox was good enough to allow us uh, to be there, which was very exciting, I must say, to watch really all of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes that you, I mean, you see this like flawless television production from super, super professional people that like make zero mistakes on air. What you don't see on air is all the moving parts behind that that make it work. And, you know, watching him or I don't know the names of all the counties in South Carolina. I got to think about the one that I live in. 
But Hemmer is sitting there rattling off the names of counties in Iowa. It, it's it's so it was a fantastic experience, and I'm grateful that Fox let uh, me go with two of my favorite people in the world, my wife and Mary Langston. Um, we got to experience brutally cold weather. It is the coldest weather I have ever been in. Um, and so, Mary Langston, I want to say thank you to you and Terry for both the mornings where it was just too cold for me to leave the hotel to go get coffee. It just, I think it would have been a health risk for me to do that. But y'all were kind enough to to go for me. And, and I want you to know, I worried about y'all the whole time y'all were gone, but it, and I, I think it's just a little bit of frostbite. I don't think like anything had to be like snipped off or anything. I think it was just a little bit of frostbite y'all got, but I want to thank y'all for going and like starting the car and doing all of those things because it was just too cold for me to do it. Well, we know that's not true, but okay, you know, all right, well, happy to be one. Uh, people in Iowa, fantastic. Uh, they came out and voted. It should make all of us feel a little bit guilty when it's seventy-five and sunny and we don't go vote because a lot of people did go vote. The result did not surprise me, but the margin of victory did. So President Trump, one former president, won every county except one, and the one he lost, he lost by a single vote. He got over 50%, which was one thing that I was kind of watching to see. Uh, He also won among self-described MAGA voters, people that call themselves MAGA voters. He won among people who call themselves moderates. He won among what I call church folk but others may call evangelicals. Uh, Ronnie came in second. The other thing I was looking for was, you know, the race for second, who would come in second, how close would it be? Uh, Ronnie came in second, but it was very close between he and Nikki. So it was a victory for Donald Trump, you know, honestly and objectively, every way you cut it. His speech afterward, I thought was uh, was really conciliatory, uh, much more conciliatory than some speeches, which I don't know, maybe maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. But if you're trying to win in a fractured country, uh, if you're trying to win a general election in a fractured country, I, I think uh, a conciliatory nature when possible is appropriate. Of course, the networks cut away from that speech, probably because it was conciliatory, but it was a general election kind of message, which tells me he also is confident that the nomination is very nearly in hand. Now, New Hampshire is coming up. It'll be closer, I think, at least according to the polling. It's a very different kind of state, Um, but Trump is still winning. There's no doubt New Hampshire and Iowa are different states with different issues and different constituencies. One's a red state in November. The other's considered a swing state. But, you know, former President Trump is leading in both. And then comes South Carolina where, you know, I, I need somebody smarter than me to explain this. Nikki Haley, very popular governor, still very popular. Tim Scott. Probably the most popular elected official we've ever had in South Carolina in terms of polling numbers, and yet Trump's leading in the polls. So people can like you. People can think you're popular. People can think you've done a good job in the past. 
but that does not necessarily mean they're going to vote for you. So, you know, if Trump runs a table in New Hampshire and South Carolina, then, you know, I'm not saying the fat lady is singing, but she's certainly warming up her vocal cords and it'd be close to being over. Well, thank you so much, Trey. And thank you, Deb, for that question. Our next question has about two parts, Trey, and it's from John in Nebraska. He writes, since the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned Fortenberry's case, who in the DOJ determines where and if they relitigate? And how much time does the DOJ have to file charges again? Uh, well, the second one is easy. Um, if there's an applicable statute of limitations, just get it done b- before the statute runs. I think what John uh, probably also would like to know is, yes, the Ninth Circuit and a three-judge panel uh, unanimously overturned Jeff's conviction. The government still has the right to ask the entire Ninth Circuit to review the case in what's called either in bank or in bonk, depending on how you want to pronounce it. So I don't know how many of our listeners know that, but so, you know, appellate courts sit in three judge panels, but there could be 15 judges on the Ninth Circuit. So the government could say, we want all 15 to hear it. Doesn't mean they have to, all all 15 don't have to accept it. They could say, no, we're not going to do that. This case is not worthy of our time. The government can also appeal to the Supreme Court. So those are the different options. In terms of where the decision, whether or not to retry that case, will be made probably the head of the public corruption unit in the District of Columbia at Maine Justice with some input from a deputy AG. I I doubt it would get to Merrick Garland's level. I doubt it, but... It would certainly get to a deputy attorney general's level because Jeff's a former congressman. Uh, There is a lot of scrutiny of this case. Um, You know, it actually sounds like ridiculous to say the head of public corruption would be the person to review this case because the case has nothing to do with even allegations of public corruption. The the government never even... The government never charged Jeff with public corruption. I mean, public corruption sounds so terrible, like taking bribe. They never even, that was not even part of the investigation. They know he did not do that. They never even suspected that he did that. This was and is and always has been about a failed memory test. And for people who maybe didn't follow it or don't recall it, here I'll summarize the facts as succinctly as I can, and I'll do so in part because it's one of the reasons I have lost so much respect for the Bureau and for federal prosecutors um, is the way they handle this case. So Jeff was never even accused of improper fundraising. I mean, he, you go ask people in D.C., one of the, one of the most honest, straight up, he would call if there was a question about anything because campaign finance laws are complicated and what you can and can't do sometimes can be complicated. Sometimes one person in your office can do something, but somebody else in your office cannot. No one called more than Jeff Fortenberry. No one. You go ask who was the most. I was on House Ethics for, what, almost six years? No one, no one was more interested in following the rules than Jeff Fortenberry. So 
to even like mention public corruption is like laughable to me. This was always about a failed memory test. Um, and this is what happened. So they didn't even suspect him of improper fundraising, but they thought they thought that people unknown to Jeff had made campaign contributions to his campaign. And, and, and keep in mind, look, I mean, I raise money online. So there are thousands of people who were kind enough to send me money when I was in Congress. You think I know something about all thousands of them? I mean, you're supposed to list your employer, your name, your address. You have to be a U.S. citizen. But even when I had like fundraisers in people's houses, there are plenty of people there I didn't know. I did. I didn't know who they were. I just knew they were kind enough to come. And there, there are limits on what you can give. There are dollar limits. You have to be a U.S. citizen. There's all this information that you're supposed to collect, and you make a really, really good faith effort to collect it. But if you raise money online and you have thousands or tens of thousands of donors, or you go to an event, and even if there are thirty people, do you really know every detail of all thirty people's lives? No, of course you don't. So there was never even an allegation that Jeff himself was involved with improper fundraising. So what they did, but, 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 but they thought that maybe some money that should not have been given at an event was given. So they had a surreptitious phone call placed to Jeff, which means the FBI placed the phone call, but they got one of your friends to do the talking. All right, you with me? Mary Langston. So, mm -hmm. so it's like the FBI suspects you of doing something wrong, which would also be patently absurd. Chances of that happening are zero. But they got Sharia to call you, mm -hmm. and they record the phone call. All right, that's what they did to Jeff. They got a friend of his to call. They record the phone call. Not much going on there. Nothing of note. So then they call back again, and they said something to Jeff that would have been relevant, would have been relevant to the fundraiser, and they wait nine months to go interview him about that phone call. So you stop and think, we're really concerned about improper fundraising, and we have this tip or this lead that something untoward happened. We don't think you know anything about it, but we're going to place a phone call and let you know about it and then wait nine months to go see if you remember it. If this really were serious, if this really were something the Central District of California and the FBI agents were fired up about, why would you wait nine months to show up at a congressman's house late in the evening after he's been touring a flooded district, which is exactly what happened, he shows up at home. He didn't even believe they were real cops. He had to call he had to call his local police chief to make sure that these two people, who by the way, misrepresented who they were when they showed up. So the moral of the story is the FBI can lie to you, but you can't fail a memory test around them. And so, they charged him, not because of anything dealing with improper campaign finance. They never suspected him of that. They made a phone call. They monitored the phone call. They waited nine months, and they gave him a quiz on it. All they had to do was play the audio for him and say, Congressman, we know you've had a hard day. we got to play this 
this recorded call from you and ask you what you know about it. But that's not what they did. And the reason they didn't do it is because what would be less exciting than prosecuting someone no one's ever heard of for making an improper campaign donation? Why don't we do this instead? Why don't we set up a United States congressman? Yeah, that'd be good for my resume. Boy, that'd get me promoted within the Bureau. That'd get me, that'd get me considered to be the U.S. attorney in a state like California. Let me go after, by the way, the prosecutor was a Democrat who loved to, do, to donate to Democrat causes, too, by the way. Let me go after a Republican congressman. That would be a real notch in the holster. So that's what they did. In the Ninth Circuit, which, by the way, is not known for being like a really conservative district, like it's like it's the opposite of that. Three to zip. Three to zip. They reversed the conviction. Didn't get a lot of attention because it happened over the Christmas holidays. They can retry him. Keep in mind, even after a trial and a conviction and the government arguing, begging for jail time, the judge sentenced him to exactly zero days and zero hours and zero minutes in the federal penitentiary. That's how much he thought about the case. Zero time. I myself would never waste my time on a case like that. But I, I was like too busy going after murderers and people who hurt children and people who rob banks and people involved in child pornography. I never had enough time to go after some high-profile target for a failed memory test. Maybe I wasn't ambitious enough. Maybe I, maybe I was just naive and wanted the world to be a safer, better place for crime victims, but I wasn't interested in being the U.S. attorney or getting promoted within the FBI. Maybe that was my mistake, that I wasn't ambitious enough. So we'll see. Um, it won't be retried in California, so it won't be a home field advantage for these, for these guys. They either got to go to the District of Columbia or they got to go to Nebraska they would not fare well in Nebraska. They know that. Um, they would fare better in the District of Columbia uh, for reasons we can discuss later on. But all of that for <laughs> for, a, for a case where you don't even suspect the – by the way, this case was initiated or this investigation was initiated when President Trump was still in office. But they waited. They waited on purpose until Bill Barr was no longer the attorney general to bring the case. I mean, in, in the in the pantheon of, of, of really complicated fact patterns, this ain't there. This is a really simple case. But they waited months and months, if not years, for Bill Barr to leave, for the Democrats to come into power, and that's when they indicted a Republican congressman. So hopefully the higher-ups at DOJ will see this case for what it is. Uh, it was a mistake from day one. Hopefully the Prosecutor will find a different line of work. Hopefully the IG, the Inspector General for the Department of Justice, Michael Horowitz, who is a very no-nonsense guy, will look into the conduct of all involved. And hopefully Jeff won't be re-prosecuted. But that decision's up to the folks in D.C. And soon enough, there may be a new sheriff in town after the, new, after the November elections. 
And if there's a Republican, whether it is Donald Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or fill in the blank, there is not a Republican attorney general or a Republican president that would prosecute this case. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, our last question's from Brad via Twitter, who writes, I always thought you would make a great AG. If Republicans take the White House, would you answer the call if asked? and bring some integrity and respect back to the DOJ. So that's interesting. It falls right after that question. Uh, interesting is one word. <laughs> that's <laughs> not the word I was thinking, but yeah, that, maybe I would have gone on less of one of my little mini rants. About. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, well, thank you, Brad, from Twitter. Uh, I love being a prosecutor, which you could probably tell. I have very high expectations for prosecutors, as you could probably tell from my answer to the last question. I loved prosecuting a violent crime, serious crime. I mean, not the stuff we discussed in the last question, which to me really is a joke. Uh, murder, sexual assault, kidnapping, child rape, robbery, crimes with real victims. Uh, with real impacts on families, life sentences, if you will, for the victims. That's why I went into prosecution. It's why it's the job I love the most. Um, I would not do well in this current environment where the Department of Justice is used as a as a weapon. Um, I did not. Um, I still don't. But I especially did not, as a prosecutor, see the world in terms of blue and red. That's just not how I saw the world. I saw it as a distinction between law-abiding people of good conscience and those who want to hurt you, those who want to kill you, those who want to rob from you, those who want to take advantage of you, those who have no regard for the law. That is how. That is the line of demarcation that I saw. Not black-white, not brown-black, not brown-white, not male-female, not what— part of the country you're from, not what your politics, who you voted for, who you are thinking about voting for. I could have, I could not have cared less about any of that. Are you a good person of conscience who's trying to do the right thing or do you enjoy victimizing people? That is how I saw the world. And I just don't think there's much of a market for that anymore. So, yep, we need a DOJ that is respected, worthy of respect. We need it. We need that to survive, frankly, as a republic. But unless and until the people view it that way, I mean, and unless the people view it the way that I just laid out, which is there's the line of demarcation is people who follow the law versus people who do not. And politics is irrelevant. Then the people have to view it that way, and the presidents have to view it that way, and the candidates have to view it that way. Justice can be a sword and a shield, but not in a political way. Not there's just no. That's what destroys the justice system. So, if you want someone who will take the facts, apply the law, 
do it fairly and justly and do a good job in front of judges and juries, then I might be the person you call. If you want someone to reward or protect friends or pay back or punish political enemies, I am not your person. So I think that would be of all the jobs and of all the jobs in the world, that would be the one that or something in law enforcement would interest me the most. But you got to be fair and you have to work in an environment and for a boss who tells you that that is your job is to be fair. No paying back, no rewarding, be fair and be tough and be good at what you do. And, you know, so if we ever get back to that, well, I don't know that I'll be alive when we get back to that time around, but um, that's what it, that's what interested me in being a prosecutor and not the the mixture, the intersection of politics and justice ruins justice to me. So that's my answer to that question. Okay, well, well said, Trey, and that's all we have for today. Well, Mary Langston, I can't thank you enough for going to Iowa with me. I assume that you and Terry are going to go to New Hampshire with me too, because it's also going to be cold there. I can't, I can't leave the hotel. I mean, y'all can't expect me to possibly go out and walk <laughs> in that cold and go get what I need. So, can you? Well, we are excited to go back, and it was such an honor to be able to go to Iowa too, and to see, like you said, kind of what was behind the scenes, because so much goes into that. You know, when you just watch it on TV, you think, oh, they just get there and they talk and that's it. But there's a lot that goes into it. It is unbelievable what all and the professionals and the names that you'll never hear, never know, none of which would happen. You know, it's just it is so many people working very, very hard and they do it anonymously, mm-hmm. which um, is a credit to their character. So. I'm glad that uh, and appreciative the Fox let us go. I'm a little surprised at seeing snow piled up six feet on either side of a highway was on your bucket list. (laughs) But everybody has like a different bucket list. So hopefully in New Hampshire, we can cross something else. (laughs) I don't know why someone who's 30 years old has a bucket list, but... (laughs) If if that you gotta get up, started early, you just never know. Good, good lord! <laughs> I mean, well, you can simplify it and be like mine. Just one thing is on my list of things. <laughs> I don't oh, think Terry would like that one. What? It's a perfect thing to have on a bucket list. A bucket list is what you want to do before you die, right? That's right. I think right. I don't I want to die. <laughs> that is on my bucket list. Well. I guess if you, I know I'm not going to want an argument with you and Terry already know that y'all take sides with each other and it's two on one and I can't hold my own because. Okay. We'll just leave it as is then. Yeah. Y'all are better at arguing than I am. So that's not true, but we'll (laughs) leave it as is. All right. Well, whatever's on your list, I hope we can knock it off in New Hampshire and I can't wait to join everybody back again with a report from the Granite State. Come next week. All right. We'll be back next Thursday. Y'all have a great week. Alrighty, bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.